Hello and welcome. My name is Joel Martin, the host of the Money Mill podcast. Joining Luke and I on today's episode is George Ivanov. George Ivanov has written over 90 books for children and teenagers, including school readers, library reference books, chapter books, novelettes, novels, and a short story collection. He is best known for his You Choose series of interactive books. His latest books are the Royal Flying Doctor Service Adventures. The first two were published in February, with the next two due out in May. He's a bit of a geeky fanboy who once wrote a story for a Doctor Who book, and he's got a story coming up in an X-Files book later this year. George eats too much chocolate, drinks too much coffee, and watches too much Doctor Who. On this episode, we chat about the trend that children's animation seems to be taking. We focus on the recent release, Zootopia. I go on an ever-so-slight complaint on the TV show Beowulf, Return to the Shieldlands, and George fills us in on how the show Elementary has improved. For the topic, we cover the idea of abandoning first drafts, of how sometimes allowing your writing some breathing space helps, and the resurgence in the choose-your-own-adventure books. As always, you can send me your questions at the address mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore. Luke, you're here. I made it. I told you I would last week, didn't I? (laughs) You didn't do the whole proposed plan of you not showing up every time you wanted to, but I'll I'll let it slide. I showed up this week. That's right. And that's all that counts. So what have you been up to, Luke? What have I been up to? Oh, um, a bit more writing, a bit more... um, I actually put up a post, you may have seen it. It wasn't the review that I've been promising, but... But it's uh, definitely a post, so so um, we'll see how that goes. Working on some more. Um, Joel told me, uh, Joel, as in you, you told me um, when you saw it that it was a bit of a, um, what, fan fiction of my own life. That's a bit of an interesting observation, <laughs> I'd say, because I just, I never wrote it like that. <laughs> it's just, you know, writer's life, you know. Yep, that's right. Well, anyways, my life as a writer. It's, it's... Uh it's a, no, I wouldn't say oddly cynical, but it's a oddly uh, harrowing tale of a writer <laughs> at the end of his fray, at the end of his thread, uh, contemplating many dangerous things. I wouldn't say you're there yet, Luke, but it, it is a little <laughs> bit of disturbing fan fiction, so I'm a, I'm a little worried for you. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll make it, though. Um, Probably, yep. Today, we have George Ivanov joining us on the podcast. George, how are you going? Uh, good, thank you. How has your week been? Um, busy. It's been a busy few weeks, actually, with lots of um, touring and school visits and bookshop visits and mm, stuff yeah. to promote recent releases. That's right. And I caught you on the news the other day. That was a bit interesting. Uh, yeah, the, the Today Show at 6.40 in the morning. <laughs> if anyone is actually awake yeah. at that time, how, I'm not how normally. How awake were you? <laughs> well, I did actually specifically set the alarms that I could get up and, and watch it live, mm, which mm. was kind of cool because was it was the, the launch of the Royal Flying Doctor Service books. Yeah, That's fantastic. That very cool. Exciting times. Very. Well, um, very nice. so how was Adelaide? Have you been there before? Was it just a quick visit or a bit of a holiday? It, it, was, it was a relatively quick visit this time. Um, I've been to Adelaide lots of times because mm-hmm. my wife and I have friends there, yeah. so we, we go quite regularly um, to visit. But this was the first time I'd been there um, for work. For work, yeah. Um, that, that was cool. It was, uh, yeah, the, the book tour for the Royal Flying Doctor Service book, so... 
um, visited a whole bunch of schools, um, mm. talked to the uh, South Australian teacher librarian network, and I've probably got that wrong um, <laughs> because they have, they have these big acronyms yeah, and right. I can never remember what things stand for. So it's like government librarians and yeah. South Australians. I mean, that's that goes as well. Yep. Yeah, I think um, that's is, is Adelaide as pretty as it used to be? Yes, I like Adelaide. Mm. Um, it's a much quieter city than Melbourne. It's a very pretty city. I, I like it's a the homely version of Canberra, I've heard some describe it as. <laughs> I, I don't know that I would describe that. I don't much like Canberra. <laughs> I mean, Canberra's like, it, I mean, it's interesting, but one visit, and, you know, that's, that's all you enough, need. And I'm sorry, I've probably just offended all your listeners who are in He's Canberra. Canberrian anyway. I'm so. Canberran, but like, okay. I, uh, it, it's a nice place for, um, as I, I think I said it once on a podcast, it's the... Uh, a perfect place for retirees, uh, mm. politicians, and uh, office and workers, cafe workers, and a public service workers. Public workers service, sorry, yeah, I, and the cafe <laughs> workers to entertain the public service. So you know, there you go. I, I had a friend who used to live there back in the nineties, so I visited it. In oh, the that would have been 90s. very, very quiet, and it was very quiet. Mm. But it was, I was very excited to discover this piece of modern art that they had in some um, square there in the city, which was this giant glowing cube. Yes, yes, <laughs> is it still there? I think so. Yes, that sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, because you know it was the early nineties. Mm-hmm. It just made me think of a Rubik's cube, and I was so excited. <laughs> oh look, they've got a giant glowing Rubik's cube. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about Canberra is they have the oddest. Uh, well, modern art is something I'm not particularly, uh, uh, or at least educated on. In tune with, or in yeah. tune with, I think <laughs> is the better thing. So when you drive down the, um, oh, I, I think it's Parksway in, in Canberra. I don't, I don't think it is, but it's somewhere in Canberra. And uh, you're driving down this highway, and you just see this like metal thing, this obelisk rising out of the ground. And <laughs> if I was meant to be intimidated, I certainly was. But I was like, that's not very nice to see on a highway when you're not thinking about accidents and bent fenders and everything. But uh, that definitely made you think of it, that's for sure. Mm. So modern art in Canberra is very rife. But uh, <laughs> probably a nice positive thing to say about Canberra. And that's about it. Um, Luke, you have a new section for I us. I do. Yes, I thought we should bring in some uh, snippets of news. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't bring a lot this week. So I thought we'd start it off a bit slower and um, probably try and include some more uh, more relevant and also some uh, like honorary honorary mentions for past guests as well. But for now, we'll just start with a couple of little things. And I believe Joel actually brought a couple of pieces too. I, I think I, I saw that on your notes there. I, I did. You're sneaking them into my new section. Oh, was I? Yes, that's right. Anyways, uh, one thing that I picked up on um, that happened recently, it's not actually something that's upcoming, unfortunately, but um, it's the Sensational Somerset Celebration of Literature. Now, I don't know if you were there, George. Not this year. I was there last year. Okay, yep. But uh, it apparently was quite good this year, from March 8 until March 11. And a couple of writers such as uh, Dave Hackett, Tristan Baker, and other people there as well. Big convention, lots of, I think it was more than 20,000 tickets sold. That's great. That's yeah. a lot of people there, so it's a good um, literature convention. Mm. The interesting thing about that, that um, festival, it, you know, that there's a thing that happens, I think, to most festivals where it gets bigger and more popular as it goes on, and eventually mm. a bit of cynicism sneaks in, and the, <laughs> you know, people who used to go there in the good old days, quote unquote, good old say days, that it's yes. not like how it used to be, and then it's all a different audience now, and they get a little cynical over it all. It's interesting because this festival, 
I've seen nothing but positivity come out of it. Oh, look, it, it's amazing. The, yeah. It is utterly ma- It is so well organized. Mm. That's the thing that struck me about it last year. It mm. ran like clockwork. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, it is the biggest dedicated children's literature festival in Australia. Mm. Mm. And how they manage to actually keep everyone and everything under control yeah. like that, I have no idea. But it's brilliant. Utterly brilliant. Yep. Definitely. So that's something to check out in, in the next year, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's up in Queensland, so if you can get up there. On the Gold Coast? <laughs> Gold be, Coast, that's right. It'll be quite good. Uh, another thing I picked up on, it was a bit of a funny one. We'll see how we can see how we go with this. There was a release of a book that's been, been noted, and it's a, apparently it's the, the first entry that's gone uh, global uh, for um, native Hawaiian literature. Now, I'll try and pronounce this title. It's, it's a book. It's called The Epic Tale of Hiakai Kapoliopoli. All right. That's a good try. Hey, you want to try? Uh, actually, <laughs> I think we should do it without my glasses. Try. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. All right. Um, oh, wow. One, I have to navigate Luke's writing. And two, I have to navigate the, the name that makes this task. You're going to more glasses than that. Uh, dub- doubly hard. Uh, it's The Epic Tale of Hikaya Kapoilipele. There we go. All right, George. Mm-hmm. You want to try it? it? Yep. <laughs> All right, let me see. Oh, blimey, you're not kidding about the handwriting. <laughs> um, That's why I type. Hiya Kai Kapoilipele. Oh, I don't know. Anyways. This uh, is how we break him, guess. After, <laughs> after brutalizing the poor title of this nice, nice uh, I'm sure it's a nice collection of stories, mm-hmm. or a nice tale, rather. But, um, yeah, apparently it's the first, the first entry into global, well, the first global entry of this um, Hawaiian literature. So, have to have a look, see how it goes. I haven't seen it yet. Sounds good. Yet. Well, you should report <laughs> back to us on the next podcast and see what it's like. Yeah, see if I pick it up. Am I allowed to go off on a complete tangent? Go for Certainly. it. It's just... That pronunciation has reminded me of a place that I visited in uh-huh. Wales years ago. My oh, of course it's Wales. <laughs> and this lovely little town, and we spent three days mm-hmm. there pronouncing the name of the town as Porthmadog, because yeah. that's how it's spelt. And it was not until the last day, as we were leaving, someone corrected us and told us it was Portmadoc. <laughs> <laughs> how you get Portmadoc out of Porthmadog, I have no idea. Listen, if there's any Welsh out there listening to this podcast right now, I think they realize that their spellings... Need a yes, bit of a second look. But no one corrected us no. until we were leaving. I think there's a certain amount of humor they were looking at you and being like, go on, keep saying it. This will just get better. Yeah, I think that's the brilliance of the Gaelic spellings. It's funny because no one knows how to say it except them. Oh, it's like it's a, a mul- secret language. It's like three Ys, double Ls, triple Ls, double Ys. And you're like, that's I'm Spanish. Just, yeah, double Ls are Spanish. I'm just going to give up at the end of but, that. But, but no, I think it's great. It's like a secret language and you can never figure out what you're talking about. You can't tell what they're talking about either because you can't, you can't read it. You're like, what did yeah, you say? Welsh is like the Morse code of, the, uh, of, of all languages. Irish has got the same twang to it. It's all the Gaelic roots, I think. It's true. At least they have a sweet accent. It's pretty nice. Um, any other But um, No, I think I want to hear what Joel's got as for news for us now. You, I right. thought that was a joke initially. I don't think I have any news. You don't have any news? No. no. Would you remind you me? If I had news, <laughs> trying to sneak into my section. Apparently, he's given up. All right. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, we do have some news to announce, and that is thanks to the listeners. The Morning Bell podcast has done quite well for itself, and we thank you for your support. And so we're moving it to a weekly format, and that um, 
it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a different tack. We're not going to be doing the same thing we do here live in the bookshop. It will be over Skype, uh, simply, well, for the most part anyway, and that is that we can get some international guests on and we can talk about different topics. Sometimes it'll be more panels where I ask a group of uh, professionals within a certain field, specifically writing still, I would say, mm-hmm. um, about specific topics, and then sometimes it'll just be me and the co-hosts talking about literature and having a good time. It's definitely the casual hour of the Morning Build podcast, <laughs> but I hope you join us uh, for that. Hopefully, and this is the plan, that it is going to be uh, starting up uh, next week. Um, but we'll have new details for you there. So there you go, Luke. That's, That's right. And as the end of my anchor voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we move on to the next Wait, section. Wait, were you I actually guess? trying to do a voice there? You no. Know. No. Because I did, yes. couldn't tell the difference. Well, we'll find out later. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll see it in post-production. Um, right. <laughs> we're moving on to film, media, and theater now. And basically what we've seen and... What we want to talk about. George, why don't we throw you in the deep? Get off with you, that's right. Okay, what have I been watching? Um, the only thing I've been watching on live, uh, on free-to-air TV at the moment, has been <coughs> Elementary, the um, the US series, hmm. updated version of mm. Sherlock and, yeah. and Watson thing. And I've, I've actually been really been enjoying this season. I yeah. think it's, um, it's a really good season. What, uh, what season is it in now? Season three? Uh, could be, yeah. Could be. I think it's season three. I think so. Now I don't know anything about Elementary. Is it actually a retake on Sherlock, or is it different characters, <laughs> different different names? It's, it's an update of it. It's it's set it in current times, and it's made. Um, it's gender swapped Watson. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yes, that's why I remember. Uh, Lucy Liu, yep, uh, plays her. And I, I mean, I was very skeptical of it when it first came out because mm-hmm. I thought, "Oh, look, the the Brits have just done Sherlock, yeah, and they've done and it so well, done it so well. And now the true. Americans are going to rip it off and do their mm. own version." But it's not; it's not a rip off at all. Mm. They've taken a completely different um, take with it. Yeah, um, mm. and actually, casting Lucy Liu, I think, has been a, a stroke of genius. She's brilliant. Okay, it's Good. it's it's interesting though, isn't it? Like the Americanization. How far do you think that went in that show? Do you see like glimpses of it? Are there bits that pull you up? Is there anything in there that's like oh, I don't know if this works? Do you see this... it turning Hollywood? Is it? Is it turning into a procedural, mm. you know, drama? Mm. It, it it did to a certain extent in in the last in the previous season because that's what um, I, yeah. it kind of fell into this pattern of find a dead body, start mm-hmm. the investigation, yeah. then you reach turning point one mm. and you realise the crime you thought you were investigating <laughs> yes. wasn't actually the one you should have been <laughs> investigating. Yeah. Continue investigating this new crime mm-hmm. until you reach turning point B yeah. where you realise, oh no, it's actually a completely different yeah. crime altogether and now you start investigating yeah. the correct And it fell it into fell this into pattern last season. Uh, and this season has has been really good so far. It's gotten out of that pattern. We've had some um, very different mm. uh, episodes, mm. and um, Holmes's father has shown up and has a- ah, added a new okay. um, dynamic dynamic into the mix, which works really well. Oh, that sounds really mm. good. Yeah, because mm. I was hearing I was hearing about that procedural you know mm. cop drama thing that was going on, and that's sort of the reason it turned me off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like it's taken another turn for yeah, me. Yeah, so really good. I've been enjoying it. Fantastic. That's good. It, you know, it's, it's interesting about TV shows, and it's going off on a little tangent here, but because I don't have much in the TV <laughs> and movie section this week, so I guess I will. And, and that's the idea that um, it often takes a little bit of time for a show, if it doesn't get cancelled, that is, hmm. to find its feet. I think it's like some yeah. shows do it really well. Some shows like start right off the block, yeah. and it's fantastic, and it's great. And other shows, like, 
they think they're going in with a specific uh, theme or they're trying to get across a certain type mm. of story, but the audience reacts, and then that reaction is what prompts a lot of the changes in second season or third season. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's very interesting to see that... Um, uh, there's a, there's a British uh, on, on ITV um, show that I've been reading a lot of reviews on, um, and this is uh, Beowulf uh, Return to the Shieldlands. And the interesting thing about that show, and which boggles the mind, is why they took, uh, you know, fantastic mm-hmm. source material. But in the same way, it's source material that is very specific, it tells a very specific story and opens up the world very little. And then they want to create an epic, generic fantasy out of this with a particular <laughs> character of Beowulf just being there. And, and there's a particular style they're going for, and it's like this Western, like, you know, a Western movie you know, with the cowboys, and they just sort of change that and make it medieval. And, you know, Beowulf becomes the sheriff, kind of, or, or the Reeve in this case. And uh, there's weird family drama and soapy stuff going on, and, and it... And I'm just wondering, because they put a lot of money into this. ITV is not a channel that, that does this very often. And it's a show that's, that's period, that uh, has, I, I would think, anyway, people who would be interested in that kind of material. Mm-hmm. Certainly I was. Um, and then they just sort of chuck, chuck all that interest out. Then they go in a different direction. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit interested in that. And the shame here is because I don't want that show to be canceled. I want that show to be renewed and for them to realize all the criticism, which is everywhere. The show has been panned. I want them to realize that, come back to the drawing board, season two, bam, we've found our feet. Mm. Sounds a little bit like a bastard executioner issue. Yes, in bastard executioners... There's a lot uh, of these popping up, like they're pretending... I know we've, we've mm. already talked about this. They're pretending, we to, be, the they're pretending to be Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. And it's like they're intentionally pretending to be Game of Thrones. Because it's making money. I yeah. think Game and of Thrones it's... has had a huge impact on on television. Yeah, in in a lot uh, in a lot of ways. I, I haven't seen those shows that mm. you've just talked mm. about, but I I was watching a, a British TV show called Atlantis. Yep, which was um, the show that uh, came in to replace the the Merlin show that was being done. Anyway, so first season of Atlantis was almost a carbon copy of Merlin, yeah. only just set in a different <laughs> time period, historical, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mytho- mythological yeah. time period. And it was like, yeah. and it was obviously set up to be the Merlin replacement. It was mm. a family show. The violence didn't get too mm. much and all of this sort of stuff. Mm. And then season two came on. It was like, it was like watching a different show. They'd upped the violence mm. level. They'd obviously thrown out any um, <laughs> any similarities to Merlin, and there were and and you, I it couldn't help watching this, thinking, you know, what is happened? this because of Game of Thrones? Because everyone's now just expecting yeah. violence in, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in all this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, by no means the Game of Thrones level. Yeah, you of know, course, it was yes. uh, no nowhere near that, yeah. but certainly considerably up upped from the it. first Far season. Escalated, yeah, and. Yeah, I thought it was really an interesting stylistic mm. change. Definitely, and it, then it got cancelled. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Um, it, it's odd to me because even though, and we've talked about this before, I, I hate it when when reviewers or anything, especially reviewers, I think when they when they speak about things like it's Game of Thrones with guns, or it's Game of Thrones with uh, ships, or yeah. dogs, or Eskimos, or whatever. I really don't like that comparison, but it is. But at the to same a certain time, extent. With, with, with Beowulf, even they did an interview, I think, and they were talking about, like, no, we're, we're not trying to copy your Game of Thrones. 
well, then you're doing a really bad job about it because it feels like discount drama. It feels like uh, drama that you can't afford. You know, all the good shows, so you watch, watch Beowulf, and that's really harsh to say because I think they've got good actors. Um, they've got, you know, an okay-looking production. They just need a good story. And, and the story is just so offbeat. Like, and, and what I mean by that is characters will switch uh, roles. Um, like episode to episode, they just become different characters. You're like, but, but he would never do that because X. And then you're like, no, nah, no, nah, it doesn't matter anymore. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he's changed. He's changed. Who cares anymore? But it's now. not even that the change is like, mm. oh, it's something that would happen. It's just he's not consistent. Not, not consistent. Um, doesn't follow the law, the logic of the world or anything. There's a there's a particular character in there that is incredibly egregious of it, and a lot of reviews have commented on it. Her name is Vishka, and she's this uh, blacksmith's daughter that wants to make it as a huskal and you know wants to fight and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, and you got her training and everything. And this character is possibly the most unlikable character you could possibly envision. Uh, you want to barrack for her. You want you want to be on her side. You want to be like, yeah, do this. Be be someone in this in this society in this world. But instead, she's the most ah oh, aggravating character when she's just like, and you set her up to win, and she fails, and she fails again, and she fails even when she's not trying to fail, and failing again, and they just. I don't know whether it's Mr. Bean syndrome where they're just like, let's just <laughs> this is funny in some weird way, but. <laughs> I, I I don't know exactly what's going on there. And like I said, incredible shame. I don't want to rant on for too long, mm. but um, I really hope it doesn't get cancelled. And they haven't said that it's been renewed when they've said a lot of their other shows have been. So mm. it's a little dicey. I know it's a big budget, but I think they can do something with it. And I really hope they do because it's got interesting elements to it. Mm. Luke? Well, thankfully, I don't have a huge one to... To take up all the rest of the time with, but no, that's good. Good to catch up on all the Game of Thrones releases and all that. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But uh, no, I've got a um, somewhat tamer one. Mm -hmm. I've watched uh, what was it called? Now, dang it, it was on my on tip of my tongue. Zootopia. Oh yes, cartoon release. And I was kind of expecting a lot more from the team that just put out Inside Out, which is fantastic. Yeah, that was brilliant. Mm. Inside Out was Mm. great. This keeps saying this is from the creators of Inside Out. And you watch it, and it's one of those very sort of generic Disney films. And instead of putting something interesting like, you know, Toy Story was actually good for the first one. Mm. And Inside Out was fantastic. There's a few other good ones. I'm not going to bring them all off the top of my head, but... But um, Ice Age, yeah, that's one. Wasn't Disney, but Dreamworks. But instead of that, they pulled a very generic story, put some funny moments, put some like uh, meme moments, mm. like uh, office office workers, for instance. There was a fantastic section all about office workers, and they're all sloths. And they're sloths, so they, and they move like slowly. really, really slow with everything. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. The mm. trailers shows the entire scene. You don't need to watch the film. <laughs> but <laughs> one of those. Yeah, it was great. But um, other than that, you could tell what was going to happen next. Mm. You could you could see what was changing, what was happening. It was like they were trying to introduce children to crime stories. It's done been done before, so it's not like it's a unique idea. But it wasn't. It didn't need to be. It didn't. It didn't feel like anything had to be that way. It felt like it wasn't earning what it was mm. putting in there. It just felt average. Yeah, because they had all these great elements surrounded by a bland story. See, so yeah, that was 
it's it's interesting though. I think the theme is the thing that carries a lot of these films over the line because even though the structure can be boiled down to, you know, approximately the same arc, hmm. it feels like themes are the ones that carry these, especially for, hmm. for children's movies. What do you think, George? Do you think I'm I'm being I a don't bit know. I too? Think it, it depends on the film. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think it. Like for instance, it's 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 a bit like the Despicable Me thing, right? Where they they created these films and then they had the spinoff, mm-hmm. oh. min, um, Minions, Minions, wasn't it? And, and <laughs> oh, that, I hated that film. Oh, I, I, it was I, one of I, the most pointless cartoons that's ever been written. And yes, exactly. It, but, but but I think see that that film uh, learnt how to make money hmm. <laughs> to hmm. take a really good theme to milk it for all it's worth, but don't try and appeal to like a broad audience and a very mm. specific audience, and that's kids who like Despicable Me minions. Yes. Not mm. Yeah, my, my younger daughter loved it. My older yeah. daughter thought it was meh. Yeah, that's right. It, but again, Zootopia is standalone. It doesn't have any prequels. It doesn't mm. have any sort of mm. cute characters that are carrying on from something else. It's starting fresh. I was saying it was terrible as a film, but... It just didn't have what it, it needed. It didn't it, grab it you. It didn't grab me as much as any of the other films. It'd be interesting to like um, speak to someone at like you know age nine or ten <laughs> and see whether they had a similar experience because yeah. they can certainly have that, right? Mm. Some films just like, well, that was pretty mad. Like a lot of people said, Brave uh, at that age were like, Brave's pretty bad, and then a lot of the adults were like, No, Brave is great. Yeah. Brave has really good themes. <laughs> um, it's interesting. Well, there's also another film, and I'm gonna gonna hog up a little bit more room. Another mm-hmm. cartoon, um, The Good Dinosaur. Now, I didn't watch the entire thing because you were very it was critical boring. Of this, yes, I was very critical of this because it was Ice Age mm-hmm. to the dot, okay. minus scenery and characters, and it looked like they just wanted to do Ice Age in America. George, so, I want you to jump in on that, this because yeah, I feel like you've seen it. If you I like. have seen Take it. it. I, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was brilliant, mm. but I thought it was a very watchable film. Mm-hmm. And again, mm. again, both my daughters liked it. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think about Ice Age because I, I was never an Ice Age fan. I mm. thought it was a pretty meh, meh sort film. of film. Um, I can't even remember the plot, so I can't really compare it to <laughs> yeah, the Good yeah. Dinosaur. Well, but I thought think the of the Good, good Dinosaur, dinosaur and okay. take that plot and put it in the Ice Age, <laughs> <laughs> Ice Age world. <laughs> but the only thing I remember from the from Ice Age is that little squirrely character with the oh. heart. <laughs> um, yeah, Scrat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bug thing, the bug squirrel thing. <laughs> scrat. The ancient bug squirrel. Just call him thing. Scrat. That's all. Yeah, look that up, kids. Um, yeah. There you go. Okay. You had a pretty I violent mean, reaction against I, that. I often have sort of um, critical reviews of such things the only because thing they keep I... repeating themselves instead of creating something different because they've already got Ice Age, which they've also remastered. So you don't need to do the exact same story. You it... could make something different. They had a huge, beautiful world to play with. Good mm. Dinosaur had some good effects. It had some good scenery. It had some good music. But it didn't It didn't capitalize. It had hallucinogenic It thought, fruits. well, let's just do the same stuff as we had. Let's do the same scenes as we had. See, the interesting thing is, and, I, and I'm going to make a terrible analogy like I always <laughs> do because it's fill my quota here, is I feel that a lot of children's films these days are like lollies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got all these different flavors of lollies. They all have pretty much the same ingredients. The difference is that one flavoring, mm-hmm. right? It's that theme. So as long as you as a kid or an adult enjoy the theme, you will enjoy the film. 
and the, the certain things gel with you. It's like people who like Mars and not Snickers, right? There's only one ingredient missing. It's nuts. It's like if you like the nuts, then you're a Snickers fan. You can host. You can uh, you can uh, sponsor this podcast, by the way, Snickers or whoever makes Snickers. I think it's Nestle. Um, but yeah, and I, and I feel it. It's I feel Mars, it comes down anyway. to that. It's like whether you react in a positive manner or, or negative manner to the theme and how it is. But who knows. I guess we'll need to bring in an animator or a person who writes. But that, that's that a game where I'd pull it, pull us back to Inside Out, mm. which was fantastic and yeah. unique. I had not seen that done before. Mm. It's great. Mm. And it, I mean, it stunned its audiences. Yeah. People people went Kids, adults, any, I mean, kids to a lesser extent because it was definitely something that adults would have picked up more on. Or not necessarily adults, but uh, older than six, I'd say. Yeah. If you're younger than six, you'd probably be saying it's a pretty film, but that's all you'd really pick up. Maybe Hollywood churns out an awful lot of yeah. mm. you know kind of same, sameish sort mm. of ordinary stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, then you get the occasional exceptional piece like ins- uh, Inside yeah, Out. That's right. Inside. Well, Inside Out. <laughs> Inside Out. <laughs> Inside Out. <laughs> yes. um, well, well, here's a, here's a job for you and me, Luke, next week, and we'll mm. make we'll make this a thing. We'll actually do this on the next podcast. Oh boy, our here we task go. <laughs> for the week, and I'm saying this to the audience, and then they'll hold us on this, is that we will both go and try and find uh, a children's film uh, that is uh, made by an independent non-American studio. Hmm. And Who not is Japan. the secret of Kells made by? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, you're I not think allowed it's, to say it's a Celtic one. Not, not, you can bring that up next. I week. think it's actually an Irish. Production. Don't spoil. Don't spoil your subject matter. Um, but, if you, <laughs> but, but if you have seen it, then you can't talk about it. See something new. Damn it. Um, and not Japanese because we all know that um, Studio Ghibli makes brilliant, amazing films. Brilliant films. Brilliant and films. I. They have nothing to critique there. So leave aside okay. uh, right. that kind of animation as well. So narrowed. I guess we're just saying Europe, really. <laughs> <laughs> Find me some macabre European children's cartoons. Macabre. And um, we'll talk about it next week. Sound good? There we go. Fantastic. Well, let's move on to the uh, topic for today's podcast. And this is a topic that I suppose George has the most expertise on because he has been writing... For how many years was it, John? Oh, God, that's a maths question. Yeah, that is. Um, <laughs> never oh, math on I live had, shows. My first book came out in 99. Wow. So, a long time. Someone, someone 17 the years? Maths. There you go. 17 years? Yeah. There you go. If we're, if we're in 2016, I think we are. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I imagine, George, that in all that time, there's a lot of first drafts that got published but am I correct in assuming there's a lot of first drafts or half drafts that never got finished or abandoned? Oh, well, yeah, of, of course. Mm. Um, I mean, I think every writer has got a drawer full of stuff that they've never been uh, able to sell. Mm. Uh, I don't think I'm any different there. And yeah. Some that they've never tried to sell. <laughs> oh, uh, and yes, I've got some of those, and with good reason, too, because they're really, really bad. That's uh, right. <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, um, off the top of my head, I can think of one particular manuscript that, you know, I really, really tried. You know, mm. I, I originally had a sort of like a, a verbal agreement from from mm. a publisher for mm-hmm. it, but then that publisher was taken over by a larger publisher and suddenly mm. everything went out the <laughs> everything window. Everything changed, yeah. And, and since then I've never been able to interest uh, a publisher in it, and so it's 
sat in my drawer and then I'd pull it out occasionally, you know, look at it, rework it mm. and send it out again and mm. get it rejected again mm. and put it away. <laughs> so I, I haven't looked at it now for a good five years, I yeah. think. Um, it, to go on a tangent. Yeah, go for it. You've published 90 plus books and people will mm. still give you rejections. Yeah. Okay. So they won't pick up and say, oh, he's very successful well, there. Why don't we pull it in just because it's... A- it, it It depends on... on Do they give you on feedback how you approach time, I mean, because... I now have uh, a relationship with my with mm. my publisher, Penguin Random House. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't go off and just write something and send it to them cold. Yeah. Okay. I will talk to them. Yeah. So uh, okay. So yep. You know, uh, I've got two series with them at the moment, and we're already talking about what potentially I'll do next. And basically, what I did was I gave them a pitch document mm. of a few pages with six potential ideas mm-hmm. yeah i i can't decide between them i like them all i'd mm. happily do them all <laughs> yeah. and and so it was a case of well which one would you guys like yeah hmm. it's it's interesting to me that um uh, and and i suppose when when i pitched this uh, idea for the topic to george it was the idea that um first drafts are and and for a lot of emerging writers your first first draft is something mm-hmm. that's very close to your heart um but it's not necessarily always the thing you want to be trying to get published or trying to pitch out there, is it? Well, uh, no. I mean, I would never send a first draft out. I yeah. mean, uh, anything that I write goes through multiple drafts yep. before it gets sent out to a publisher. But that idea, like, would you would you decide, say, for instance, if you're writing an idea and you got about forty, fifty pages into the mm. into the book, and you have this this crippling sense of doubt on that on that project, and be like. I'm not sure if this is working, and I'm not sure if this can sell. Is there a sense that, well, especially earlier on, um, like before you had this sort of um, relationship with the publisher, mm. because it was more of a cold thing, mm. um, would you say that that was a fear that that made you can a lot of projects? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had projects that have petered out mm. simply because I wasn't sure where to take them or yeah. what to do mm. with it. Um, and there's been a couple of cases where I just got partway in and thought, no, this is just not working. Yep. So I've, I've put it aside. And look, in some of those instances, I've then gone back, gone back. Dug, dug out the manuscript and gone, oh, mm. I know what to do. Yeah. And then I'll rework it. And How long do you off. think, like, I know mm. this, is, this is a bit of an off question, but <laughs> the time period between you putting it aside and coming back to it, was it a period of weeks or like years? Oh, oh, uh, years. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not not weeks. No. Yeah, yeah. Letting it so go part, cold and like part. change yeah. your outlook on a lot of things yes. and then come back and look at yeah, it. Yeah, it was yeah. coming. Uh, yeah, one one story I can think of particularly. I Yeah, it was just I gave up on it because it was just not working. Mm-hmm. And yeah, literally years later I came back to yeah. it. Had mm-hmm. a look at it and thought, I know exactly what to do. <laughs> you know where to go now. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Luke, your particular examples on this? Oh, my examples. Well, I had a first draft. That's mm-hmm. it. Now, Joel, back to you. <laughs> um, well, there was a time <laughs> there was when a time. I was writing a first draft. That's right. <laughs> and now it's all shorter stuff, isn't it? Yeah. But was, what was that? You know, what do you think you feel that sort of relationship where when, when you're writing another page and you're like, well, uh, should I pursue this? Will I come back to this? Or am I just not there yet as a writer? Well, I've definitely had a few stories which started off and I thought, this can be fantastic, but I don't know what to do with it yet. Mm. I don't. Yeah. I know that it's know got something feeling. there, but I don't know where to go yet. So, yeah. 
I've still got a couple of those filed away, which I think about every time I think about writing. Yeah. But at the time, for the time being anyways, it's just my new first draft or whatever I'm putting out next. Yep, yep, yep. And I don't know, hopefully I'll go back to them. If you go back to them, I will eventually, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's right. And and it's that idea that we're, we're, we're not at all saying that what you do is you you write you write it in a piece of paper or you type it up, you finish it, and then you send it out. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> we're saying that um, the first draft process, the, the generation of your ideas, draft, and, yeah. and, and after that, you ferment it and you work on it, you edit mm, it. You trying to finish a project and, to and yeah, change, yeah. And you, and you taper it all off and then you send it out. But often, we never get to that stage. We go like r- yeah, right yeah. at the start and then mm. we just wonder what to do with it. And has it ever been where it's the opposite effect for either of you, where it's like, um, you thought an idea wouldn't work, you came back to it, and it still didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to remember. Yeah, I'm sure there must be. Mm. Must have been stories there that no matter... Yeah, because I've pulled stuff out and gone, oh, I wonder if I can rework this, and I'll look at it and After go, a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I still don't know what to do with it. <laughs> chuck it away. Yeah. Um, no, not chuck it away. It, it's all filed away. It's filed filed I'll away. never actually throw out any piece of right. writing. It's mm. all there... Somewhere, yep. It's all grist for the mill. Um, giant box. I don't have a filing cabinet yet. So it's all a big box that you sort of open up and boxes and sift paper. through the papers, and they go up in the air every time. <laughs> the feeling of frustration is like a squeezy bowl. You just have your your box of manuscripts. And the worst thing is when you've set up like little sticky notes all over your desk, and then you got to move. So you take all the sticky notes off, and they're all in the box attached to sides of the box. So you open That's the good. box, you kind of sort of open the box, and it sort of flutters out the sides, and then you open the paper. Yeah, I feel like you got that a bit <laughs> wrong, Luke. You gotta I, I mean, <laughs> change that uh, the filing system that you've got going <laughs> the on. Filing system, or whatever. It's not a filing <laughs> it's system. Not it's a it's a boxing system. That's about it. <laughs> it. It's interesting that you know when when you look at a there's a certain amount of ego I think that's associated with writing, um, especially get, the first draft. Getting to a point in that first draft and realizing you're helpless or realizing that you don't know where to go, and there's a part of you that's thinking, am I actually not qualified, quote-unquote, to actually finish this right now? Do I have what it takes as a writer to finish this idea, which I have created, which I have come up with this idea? How can I suddenly not be qualified to do this and not have the experience to do this? And um, we were speaking, I was, I was speaking to a, to a writer a couple of weeks ago, and it was that, it was that same thing of, of realizing, just wait a bit. Just wait a bit, and maybe you'll come back to it. And maybe you'll see things differently. Mull it over. Yeah, and sleep and, on it, and, and sleep on it, mull it over, and maybe you'll never, you may never come back to it, and, <laughs> and burn it in your mind, and never see it again. But yeah, and, and I think that sometimes it's also just worth pushing through mm-hmm. because uh, I think most writers go through this whole self-doubt thing. Yeah. I mean. If really, you don't, I mean, you, you have some serious confidence. I, I, I will, you know, quite often get to about the halfway point mm. in the manuscript and think, this is crap. Yeah. This is just, oh, I don't know if I, oh, and I'll think, no, no, got a, I've got a deadline. People are expecting this. I yeah. should just keep going. So I'll push, <laughs> push myself through. and I'll keep going and I get through to the end and I'm sort of like, oh, all right, so I'm done. And then I'll go back to the beginning and, and start looking at it and go, you know what, this actually, actually isn't quite yeah. as bad as I thought. This, this is fixable. <laughs> yeah. I can work with this. Mm. I can see what I can, what I can do with that. <laughs> it's, it's like knitting something. As a previous guest, we probably know Catherine Bates and we were mm. talking about. It's, when you start, it looks like a mess. Everything's upside down. The knots are all weird. And then by the end, you have a beautiful just sweater or jumper or whatever. And it's, like, it's a bit like that with writing. There you go, another bad analogy. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that 
also is interesting is that you just mentioned it, pushing through and actually mm. getting it done. And often it's not because you're not qualified to finish the idea or not because it's a bad idea. It's because of that self-doubt and realizing or, or maybe there's some problem earlier on in that manuscript that's now stopping you. It's like what people say is writer's block of like you get to a stage and does writer's block exist or is it because you made a mistake earlier on that is now hampering you and is now preventing you to move forward? When you when you write your first drafts, both of you, I guess, it's, it's the idea that... Um, do you are you a planner or are you pants as people say do you just fly your way through it with no discernible uh, structure or do you like plot everything out I, i'm i'm a, definitely a plotter mm-hmm. um not always to a very detailed degree but i, I guess it depends on on the project but yeah. I, I i generally have to know where a story is going mm-hmm. um in order to be able to write it so i w- Look, with short stories, I'll, I will sometimes, you know, just have a vague idea and some characters and start writing and see where it takes me. Mm. But that's not a huge investment of time. So, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I don't mind experimenting a bit. But when it comes to doing a, a book, yeah, I've always, always plotted it. Always out. plotted, yeah. Look, whereas I'm on the other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pants it out, that's right. My yeah. whole, the whole, the Emelian's tale went through... That was old pants, mm. so I actually put it through like every single night I was writing it, and I would yeah. just push out the writing, mm. and I didn't sit down and plot where it was going. So because because I was I was living the, I mean, to an extent it was also the style of the story because it was written in diary format, so it was kind of like living the story with him, mm. and that's how it came out. I could have plotted it, but I wanted it to be organic. And now yeah. I'm not saying it can't be organic when it's plotted. I'm fully aware that it can be definitely, mm. but. Um, for me, anyways, that's how it became more organic. Mm, a different and, style. Yeah. But as to pantsing, it's not necessarily the best strategy because I, I did have one story that I started, I got like 20, 30, 30 pages in. And then I thought, what if it was all in third person instead of first person? And then you go. So I changed the entire thing. And I thought, yeah. no, nah, I probably sounded better the first way. <laughs> so that was, that's, that's 120 pages mm. just because mm. I've edited this 40 pages three times. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. it still didn't hit like a final, and it didn't didn't go much further than that because I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure which one to go, and then I, and then I had to stop for a while. <laughs> so yeah. that's one of those things that's pulled me back in my pantsing, if you want to call it. That yeah. Way. Uh, well, I think uh, the degree of planning is often um, dictated by the actual project. Huh. Uh, so uh, I've got a series of books called You Choose, and they're like the old choose-your-own-adventure ones, so they're mm. multiple plot lines that mm. kind of intersect and weave in and out of each yeah. other. They have to be planned, planned. Oh, That's right. in great amounts yes. of detail. Yep. <laughs> There's no other way to, to do that. You can't yep. just make it up as nope. you go along. That's right. mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, other, other books that I've done, I, I did a uh, The Gamers Trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and that was very loosely plotted. Mm. I, um, my outline was just, you know, kind of, dot point outline you know this is the major thing that has to happen here a couple of chapters in between here for description then another chapter Mm. this has to you know that sort of (laughs) thing and I would change my mind quite a lot while I was actually writing there Mm. but I can't change my mind when I'm writing a you choose one (laughs) that's right because if it's if I did it doesn't affect just one plot line it affects multiple (laughs) plot lines so Mm. yeah it's 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 um it's a bit it's a bit like the same with me like when when I write it's it's a combination I suppose it's more of that dot point um, 
because I write generally novella formats. So they're pretty short, like novella to short stories. Um, so it's the idea that I have a general theme that I want for this particular mm. novella or short story, and then I um, plot out key moments within um, the novella. And then between that, I have these sections where I'm free to, to experiment. And often that's where the changes happen mm. because I haven't been plotting them out. So then I don't actually know that the sequence of events and you get to a sequence of events <laughs> where the dot point doesn't, doesn't make any sense doesn't line up properly yeah. and then and then you've got to go back and and what I generally do is I, I follow the method of uh, um, writing the entire first draft out and then coming back and editing it and mm-hmm. I don't try and stop halfway and then structurally edit some some pieces here and there because you don't actually know the full picture until it's uh, done mm-hmm. unless you plan out every you know uh, event in a chapter and, uh, and then it just becomes <laughs> in the description of how you how you write those chapters um, and then the, the, there's the short stories where it's just full on. I have a theme in my head, and then I write it. Uh, I've got to say, this is the first time we've had someone on the podcast who's writing choose your own adventure books, and I've wanted to do that in the past too. So tell me, how how do you write the first draft of a choose your own adventure book? Ah, well, um, before writing the first draft, I've got to plot it out. So I I plot it out on a whiteboard. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I have a magnetic whiteboard and I get a stack of cards and basically every plot point gets its own card mm-hmm. and I get stuck up on the whiteboard and I just move things around and draw lots of arrows until yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> um, it's like a conspiracy theorist's uh, board of it, like, uh, string and arrows. Uh, well, actually, we, in writing one of them, I ran out of room and I couldn't <laughs> get an arrow from one side of the board to the other, so I had to put wool. I got a ball yep, of wool yep. and I tied it to one of the magnets and down to the magnet <laughs> in the other corner and That's then good. up again. So that one did look like a CSI board. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, they're they're plotted out in quite a lot of detail. So the actual writing process is is fairly simple. I go to the board, okay. I pick a card off, off the board, the and I, I write that, that scene. Oh, okay. I put it back and move on to the next one. So there's um, there's nowhere near as much um, rewriting. Mm. Would it be feasible, say, to write out a full f- a full single line, and then branch off after that? So, like, if before you've even mm. plotted it on the board, like, write just a single story and how it would go, and then go to the board and add little sections on the side and where it would go after that? Oh, or you think it po- works better as a... Possibly. Um, but then if you, you know, decide to add something in that doesn't quite fit with what you've already written, that would mean rewriting. That's right. That. Yeah. Okay, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, that just seems like it's going to make more the domino work. effect. More yeah. Work. Okay, yeah. Um yeah, so yeah, I'll I'll stick to pre-planning it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> now this is also for the audience as well, so, mm. and I want to know how to write them too. I'm programming one, so <laughs> it's interesting that uh, our previous three, three weeks ago, uh, Neil Renison, um, the uh, creative director of Ten Man Games, uh, they write the Ian Livingston um, fighting fantasy. And adventure books, and they oh the old them, uh, they've, yeah. they've, they've been transferring them to to, to iPad yeah. and PC and, and stuff like that, and and that is an interesting process mm. as well because you've got the you've got stats, you've got you know all these sorts of things that a character has to have more like a mm. dungeon crawler than well, a choose your own that's adventure. the thing that the fighting fantasy books were were game books rather yeah. than just mm. um, you right. know interactive fiction, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. they they were they took things I guess to another level. Bit of a tangent, but why 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 did you go down that route? Why did I go down that route? Well, um, I used to love them as a mm. kid. Uh, the original Choose Your fantastic Own Adventure book, ones. That's right. yeah. uh, you know, they were they were fantastic. I loved them. And then um, I've done a lot of education writing, and I got the chance to do an interactive 
piece for a set of interactive school readers. So that was basically yeah. one of those, but on a much smaller scale. So that's and, what sparked and, it. Then. And a lot of restrictions, mm. like I wasn't allowed to kill anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah all of this they stuff disappeared. that I couldn't do. <laughs> uh, I could trap them so mm. long as you were sure that they were going to get out of okay. danger eventually. So all of these sort of restrictions. But it was mm. it was kind of fun plotting it out. And I thought, ooh, you know, I'd really like to do something like this, but on a larger scale, like a, like a full book. Yeah. And I had just been doing some short stories for what you know, Random House Australia at the time and got some good feedback from the editor and thought, well, now's the time to hit them with an idea. Yeah, so I yeah. hit them with a proposal for the You Choose series. And, yeah, I think it was a case of being the right place at the right, right time. time. Hmm. Um, because no one had done uh, a series like that here in Australia in mm. quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah, well, those books are a bit of a rarity in and of themselves. Like you're one of the few authors like doing them, uh, not uh, just in Australia. No, but they've just, just yeah. kind of popped up uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, let's see. The the, the same month mm. that my first two you choose books came out, yeah. two other interactive wow. series were launched. <laughs> um, one from the UK called Lost. Yeah. Which was uh, all about like, vaguely um, like a TV series. <laughs> no, it was about survival. So okay. they were all, they were two. They, they never got past two books, I don't think, okay. in the series. So you were lost in some Find, remote location. There was out. a jungle yep. in one and a An desert island? in the other, and uh-huh. you had to get out. So it was a much more realistic sort mm-hmm. of based mm-hmm. one, based on survival yep, skills. Yep. So and it's but, children still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, kind of probably younger, upper, younger upper primary. Yep. Um, and the other one that came out the same month was Choose Your Own Ever After mm-hmm. here in Australia, okay. Hardy Grant Egmont. Yep. And huh. that's a romance yep. series for tween girls. Okay. And that takes a different approach because it's not written in second person like most of these yeah. are. It's written in third person. So you are <laughs> making character. decisions on behalf of another person. Yep. Hmm. And there are much less decisions. It's more like a novel. You get to read like four chapters before you make a decision. Okay. Wow, interesting. Uh, was so, there yeah, was there a, a a little bit of uh, sadness in your eyes when you heard that these were coming out during around no, the same time? No, Did you think they I, were two different genres? I, I thought they were they were different enough yeah. from what I was doing. Mm. Um, so definitely, the choose your own ever after was after a completely different demographic to yeah. mine. I was mine were being aimed at mid to upper primary. These were aimed at you know lower yeah. high school. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, so I I, I didn't feel a problem with that and Lost was coming out of the UK and again they were they were very fixated on one genre they mm. were survival stories yep. and that's it I suppose to a point um, they also helped to market your book because it's the style that's, well, that's refreshing it's yeah I guess so into it's focus. Good yeah. point. Um, whereas with my ones I've I've made a deliberate attempt to try and cover a whole range of genres mm. so not sticking to any particular yep. um, style of story I guess the only the only thing that uh, is common across all of them is humour. Yep. Because that's the one thing that rereading the old Choose Your Own Adventure books as an adult, that's the one thing that was lacking for yep. me. Nope. It was humour. It's very, very straight Because they were very, um, they were very adventure-based. Mm-hmm. And they were exciting and they were wonderfully pl- plotted. Mm. I mean, well, the earlier ones. Yeah. <laughs> the, the ones that were actually written by the guy who created it. Yeah. They were beautifully plotted. It went a bit, uh, plotted. went a bit haywire a little when bit. When they got other writers in. Yeah. Um, there were some decent, uh, decent they, ones. They weren't the so great. Yep. 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 But they the were all ones. lacking humour, I felt, mm. now as an adult. Yeah. And I wanted 
to inject some humour. So mm. mine, I guess, have humour across across all of them. Some more than others, but interesting. Um, and there's a new series which has just launched last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Heath. Um, Countdown to Danger. Yes, I think so. so the first book is out, um, Bullet Train Disaster. Okay. Um, it's on my reading pile. It's, yep. Matter of fact, I'm starting it tonight. <laughs> so uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does. But yeah. his his series is all spy thriller stuff because that's mm. the sort yep. of stuff that he writes. His, mm-hmm. his you know, non-interactive yep. books are all spy thriller books. So again, and probably aimed at slightly older kids. So I'm not... You know, I'm not worried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not a and I think market. you know, having them there is really good because yeah. it's nice to see a resurgence in this style of um, storytelling. Definitely. Yeah. He's also done one really other interesting thing with it, and that his is, um, uh, it's meant to be real time. So kind of like you know, Twenty Four, the TV series Twenty Four, oh, where watching it for one hour was one hour in the lives of the character. Yeah. Yep. This book is supposedly timed to be read in half an hour. Oh, average so the reading actual speed. time of what's so going half an on. hour in the life of the characters <laughs> and half an hour in the life of the reader. And there's so a the little pseudo countdown. Jack Bauer is the, yeah. is going through the train. So right. there's a little countdown That's at the at the start of every yeah. um, chapter, telling you you know how many minutes left to go. It sounds until, awful short, to be honest. Um, which <laughs> I think is a terrific idea, and I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing yeah. how he pulls it off. Yeah, yeah. I am too. Yeah. I guess it would be it'd be the kind of thing where it's short. But you would want to go back and try different options, or yes. like, you know, try different yes. paths and things like mm. that. Very interesting. Well, we've we've uh, we've tangented off, funny oh, enough, we have. to the yes. to the choose your own adventure. But I think that's a very interesting topic. We haven't had it, also. like you said, who's doing that kind of work? So it was, it was mm. very interesting to talk about that. Um, I think we have reached the end of the podcast time, and we've done a pretty good job. I think, Luke, we've, we've kept it in. It's been great. It's been really good. Mm. I think we had a good episode. Thank you, George, for coming to the podcast. My pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you very much you. for having me here. Pleasure to have you on. In the bookshop, which I think is a fantastic place to record <laughs> something like this. It's a beautiful <laughs> environment, that's for sure. So thank you again to the Brunswick Street Bookstore. Um, George, where can people find you if they're looking for you online? Or what works have you got coming up? Um, they can, <coughs> excuse me, um, find me at uh, georgeivanoff.com.au, and from there you can get to Facebook and Twitter and everything sure. else I do online. Fantastic. Um, I've got two uh, books in the Royal Flying Doctor Service series coming out in May. Mm-hmm. So two came out in February, another two in May, and I've got another two You Choose books coming out at the end of June. Spoiler for the uh, Royal Flying Doctor Service. It's actually really good, and you should probably read it. <laughs> They're not um, choose your own adventure books, are they? No, 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 <laughs> no. Not, not the Flying Doctor. No. <laughs> well, there's a proposal for you. You never know. Mm, I don't know. I, I don't know how the I Flying like, Doctors will yeah. be. Yeah, we'll, we'll, might be too we'll much trauma if they lose uh, the patient. That's true. Yeah. I don't think they'd want that. Um, uh, but no, they're very, very good books, and it was a pleasure you. reading them. Thank you very much. Luke, where can people find you if they're looking for... Your work my, uh, work, my writing, my updates, uh, the Soul Shard. That's my Twitter handle, as you've probably heard before, and you can find me at thesoulshard.com. dot com. Fantastic, sounds really good. Hmm. Um, when's that review coming out? I don't know. Luke, it's it's, it's been, been postponed this. a little. It's a little bit one of those first drafts we're talking about. It's yeah. been postponed a little bit while I try and figure out. If is I'm this going is to, this the postponement of death where it will never come out? <laughs> I might review it in a few years. We'll let you know if it comes out. There you go. <laughs> When it will no longer be relevant. I have no idea what he's reviewing, by the way. So I'm looking forward to it. Mm. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us for this episode. And we will see you in a week, uh, hopefully, when we get the digital version of the podcast out. 
And we'll see you there. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.